Thank you, Devin. I know I say this all the time, but sometimes I come up here and I say, I've got more stuff to tell you this morning than I have time to tell you. And uh, particularly when I say it in the second service, I know that's true because I didn't have enough time in the first service to get through what I wanted to go through. But uh, I think maybe I'll have a better, better handle on what things to cut and uh, leave in as we look at it this morning. But in many ways, what I want to tell you this morning is, is very, very simple. So uh, in the midst of the detail, uh, I think it's on, on the lower shelf for all of us because I want to talk about a big promise. And, and in fact, I could have said the big promise, but also I wanted to speak primarily about God being a promise-keeping God or a covenant-keeping God. And if we can believe him for the big promise, then also all the other promises should be trusted in as well. In fact, this week in your um, Bible study for your life groups, and again, if, if you're not in a life group, you can still do the Bible study uh, as far as each week. And this week we're going to be looking at some of the great promises in God's word. Um, Brandon and I were looking at this the particular week, and we were saying, why don't we just share our favorite promises out of God's Word? And I don't know if they're our most favorite, but they're, they're, they're the first 12 that came to mind. And you look at the, the great and amazing things God has said to us. Now, it's one thing for someone to say something to you and for what they are saying actually come to pass. And particularly when it's put in a form of a promise, we, we really want to make sure that the per- person who makes the promise can keep the promise. Now, if we were in a small group, like a life group, we might go around the room and ask the question, have any of you ever broken a promise that you have made? Okay. Uh, my name is Mike, and I have broken promises, all right? Uh, now, however, after I would make that mea culpa, after I made that confession of my faith or confession of my lifestyle that I have broken promises, I, I'd probably want to interject, but it wasn't always my fault, Okay. There were reasons by, by, by way I couldn't have kept my promise. Now, when I, my children were little, in fact, it would be true now even when they're bigger, if I make them a promise, they expect that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fulfill on it. I, I'm going I'm to make it come to pass. But the problem is, when you make promises on this side of eternity, there are certain things that can happen that can prevent you from making that promise come true. I remember times when we would, we would tell our kids we'd take them to Disneyland, and then all of a sudden that day would come and someone would get sick. Now, the one who got sick wasn't coming to me and said, I'm going to Disneyland today. Now, they were hoping we would change the day. But the ones that were well, they were saying, but you promised, but you promised. How many have ever heard that phrase? But you promised. Well, you know, it got so much, you know, I heard that so many times that I finally said, I just want everybody to know now from... From now until eternity, I make no promises. Right? Now, I, I, I'll tell you what I want to do, what I'm going to plan to do, what I commit myself to give my best abilities to, to do, but I promise nothing anymore. Now, that might have been a little bit over the top, but the reason I had to say that because there were a significant amount of times that things beyond my control, and I like to be in control, but I am not in control. Have you ever experienced that? You're not in control of everything? And I could not keep my promise, and that made me feel bad, and it made them feel worse. All right, This is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. No, it doesn't, Dad. I want to go to Disneyland, and you're not letting me go. Um, would you like your brother to stay home alone, all, all sick by himself? Sure, he'll be, he'll be all right. Uh, you know, it doesn't matter what you, you try to do, you can't convince him. And so, so as we think about that, sometimes we'll project our inability to fulfill a promise, and I think we ought to under-promise and over-deliver. We ought to be faithful and committed and, and, and do whatever we can to make it happen, which we have committed ourselves to. 
But we are not God. And have anybody discovered that as well? Okay, anybody out feeling you have that God illusion that you feel that you are God? Uh, but what we'll do when we can't always keep our promises, or usually what I like to do is remember the promises people have made me and they haven't kept, is, is I begin to transfer that over to God. And I'm thinking, well, I know a lot of people, myself included, that doesn't always fulfill their promises. Maybe God's like that. Now, as, as, as strange as that sounds in a place like that, I'm sure all of us have thought at times, you know, God has said some pretty amazing things in here. Is he really going to keep his word? Now, I know he's supposed to, but is he going to keep his word? I've met all kinds of people who have promised me that haven't kept their word. Now, of course, that brings us again to the nature and character of God. The reason that God can always keep his promises, that when circumstances arise, he can always do what with those circumstances? He can change them. He is not dependent upon anything, anyone else in this world. He can do what he has promised to do because he is powerful enough and he will do them because he is good enough. So what I want to do this morning is I want to throw out two promises, one that we're all familiar with and then another one that I think is one of the, the, the reasons that we can believe that God not only can but will fulfill his promises because Basically, we judge someone's faithfulness or trustworthiness based on past performance. It's like the stock market, but they usually say, don't base future performances based on you know, previous performances. But with character, with people, we, we tend to trust people more that we can look back in their past that they have been trustworthy in the past. And that does give us a clue to the future. And that is true with God as well. But let's look at the big promise that we all probably hold on to. Have you ever heard the, the verse John 3.16? Well, let's read it together, all right? John 3.16 is your outline this morning. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have, have everlasting life. Who wants God to keep that promise, all right? Now, I call that a conditional promise um, because it... it communicates clearly, how do you get in on it? Not everyone is going to have eternal life with God. We're all going to live forever. It's just destination. Are you going to live in a place of judgment, the Bible calls hell, or are you going to live in a place of, of, of joy and in the presence of God, which the Bible calls heaven? We choose on this side of eternity, and God draws his faithful to himself. But it's conditional on us believing. For God so loved the world, that's non-conditional. Uh, that he gave his only begotten son, that's, that's unconditional. But then the part is that whoever believes, that's the conditional part. We have got to put our faith, our trust in his gift of his son or we don't get in on the promise, the, the falling promise, which is you will not perish, which is a living death, but have eternal life. And really, that's the idea of perishing. And sometimes we'll use that phrase, I'm going through a living death right now. Well, what does that mean? Well, I'm not dying, but it's almost as painful as dying, but I'm living while I'm going through this death experience. Well, that's what, that's what hell is going to be like. It's going to be away from the presence of the goodness of God and none of that which he has created for our enjoyment. But he says, you don't have to go through that because I promise you, if you put your faith in my son who paid the penalty for your sin, took away the sin and the shame, we've already sung about that, 
then you can have eternal life. And how can you know that? Because I, God, the creator of this universe, who is all holy, righteous, and good, am promising that to you, and I have the power to fulfill that promise. Unlike other people who maybe with good intentions give you a promise but can't deliver the goods. Now, that is true. Now, one of the reasons I believe that true is because God has been faithful to his promises in the past. And I want to talk to you not about a conditional promise, but an unconditional promise. An unconditional promise that brings us now to where we are in our series in the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 12, in which God made an unconditional promise. In other words, the person he gave that promise to didn't have to do anything on their part. God says, I am going to do this, period. So if you have your Bible, let's turn to Genesis chapter 12, though the main section is in your outline this morning. Has God kept his unconditional promise to Abraham? And I'm going to answer that before we look at the text. The answer is yes, just like the answer is yes to the first one. But you could probably put it this way. Uh, answer, so far, so good. Because the promise he gave to Abraham, or Abram, uh, was a promise that you could see fulfilled in the past, but all of it has not happened yet. And so it's like, okay, you've done this and this and this, but what about the future? And haven't you experienced that at times? God's been good to you, but now you've got some other challenges, you've got some other trials, you've got some other things that you're worried about, and you're saying, okay, you came through then, but are you going to come through now? Does anybody else live there? Okay, yeah, you've been good for me now, but now i got this ahead. And how we are confident that God will be faithful in the future is if he's been faithful in the past. Even at times where you're wondering, man, God, you're on a different timetable than I am. And we're going to see this as God delivers the promise to Abraham or Abram. And all you probably use both because his name changes later on in the, in the text. Let's look at Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 through 4. Now, the Lord God said to Abram, and Abram, I'll say this now, Abram means exalted father. Later on, when Abram is having a difficulty believing that God's going to you know, come through with the promise he gave to him because he, he promised he was going to have a child, and it's been 25 years since he's had the child, and saying, look, this is a long time. It only takes nine months to get pregnant, and, you know, what's the deal here? Okay, he, he calls him now Abraham, where he says, you're not only going to be an exalted father, you're going to be a father of, great, of a great nation, a great nation. So he, he expands the promise to him. He said, now the Lord said to Abram, get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. And that's interesting, because even there he says, he asked him to go to a place he doesn't know where it is. So how am I supposed to get there? Well, I'll guide you. But look at verse 2. And if you have your outline or if you have your Bible, I want you to circle this personal pronoun, I. And this is God speaking. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. And, I, and, and you shall be a blessing. And then he goes, I, verse 3, will bless those who bless you. And I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. But there's nothing following that. There's nothing saying, if you do this, this, and that. He's just saying, Abraham, I just want you to know, I'm going to do something. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless you. And later on, he says, I'm going to give you a land. Independent of anything that Abram would do. Now, we know later on in the story that Abram comes into a relationship with God by faith. But this promise is given before that. The promise was first. An unconditional promise. It's not dependent upon you. And isn't that, isn't that great to know that we have a God that, that hasn't put us on a performance basis in our relationship with Him? 
you know, when we go to school, we, we, if we do our homework and study for the test, we'll get a grade, and it's based on either our intelligence or our work ethic to see how well we do. Well, God, when God puts us on a test, the only answer on the test is, will we trust him? That's the only, that's the only the real question he has there. And he says, I'm going to do this for you and later on your descendants. We could read the next part, but let me just read Genesis 12, 7 and 8. Then, then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your descendants, I will give this land. And he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent with Bethel on, on the east and Ai on the, on the west. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. The Lord appears to him. He gives him another additional part of the promise. And the response of Abram is worship. Recognize, I am in the presence of someone so unlike me, he is deserving of me to give him honor and glory and surrender. Interesting enough, little Bible trivia, they now have a new game show about the Bible. If this is on, that, on this um, game show when you're there, you can answer that. When was the first altar built you know, to God in a place of worship? As far as we know, it's right here. And actually, it's probably one of the best, it might even be the full, first, most full appearance of God to someone, to Abram. Well, what is the promise? And can we look back in the past and see that God has been faithful to the promise? Well, let's, let's break that promise down. In Genesis 12, 2, and we've already read the section there, it says, God promises to Abram, you will be a great nation. Now, when he gave that promise to him, I want you to understand he was not a great nation. In fact, not only was he not a great nation, he wasn't a great family. You can be married, and God blesses marriages that are just the husband and wife. My son and his wife right now, they don't have children. They can have a great relationship without having children, but they're not going to have what you would traditionally call a family because to have a family, you have to have children. And if that, those children are multiplied so much so that they become a nation, not only are you going to have to have children, you're going to have how many children? A lot of children. Or your children have to have children, and they have to have children, and, and so a population gets big enough, so there's a number uh, an, enough to call that group of people a nation. And, and so when God gave that promise to Abram and, and Sarah, uh, he was looking around and said, well, how, how are you going to do this? Said, so far, we're childless. And so he's thinking, well, you know, God's going to do the miraculous and he's going to give a birth and, you know, we're going to start this whole thing off. Well, it's probably, Abram was probably 75 years when, when this happens and we'll find that story a little bit further down the, the path. It doesn't happen to 25 years later. Now, have you ever prayed for a prayer 20, for 25 years in a row and, and God didn't deliver? What does that do for your faith? It begins to cause you to doubt God's ability to fulfill his what? promises. Because it's not happening in the now, and we only live in the now. I can look back and great past, but I, I, want, to, I want something now. And so Abraham had nothing. And we know he tried to put God in, you know, help God out. I'll have a, I'll have a, a child through Hagar. You know, God, maybe God would want me to be a little creative. You know, and, and he, <laughs> you know, he broke God's plan there. And I want you to know is that God was faithful to Abram, even though Abram at times struggled with that. And, and all I'm trying to say here is that when we think about the Bible being true and that God being true and faithful to his promises, we can look back in the past and look at some of the things he did. And particularly with Abram, he fulfilled the promise that he would be a father of a great nation, actually great nations, because from Hagar, Ishmael, and Isaac, 
we have so many nations spreading from there. And we'll talk about the uniqueness of Israel in a moment. And, and let me just say this. I, um, after a while, I can't remember if I said this five minutes ago or I said it in the first service, is that you know, some have said, as it relates to believing the Bible is true, if, if, if you had to come up with one reason that the, the, the Bible is consistent in what it says actually happens and will happen, one answer to that is a one-word answer. It's Israel. How do we explain Israel except apart from the miraculous, powerful, working God who has been faithful to a promise he gave to a singular man back in the first 2,000 years of recorded human history? There's so many interesting things about this, where we're at in, Genesis, in the book of Genesis. Chapters 1 through 11, the first 2,000 years. I told you last week, chapters 12 through 50, 350 years. So we got... We got a shorter period of time in, in a longer length of time in terms of the revelation. But it's, it's also kind of almost the midpoint of God's revelation. You say, well, no, that's somewhere in the book of Psalms. You open up the book of the Bible and right in the middle of Psalms is where it divides in half. Well, if you look at it from a, a, a period of time, it's right here. Genesis 1 through 11, 2,000 years. From Genesis 12 through the book of Jude, first part of Revelation is 2,000 years. So we're at the halfway point of, of God talking about history in the past. And of course, Revelation now goes into the next 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 years, whatever, until Christ returns. But right here is a dividing line. And what God has been doing, he's been, he's been calling out a people to trust him, to build a, you know, a family related to him. And he, he started initially with the whole human race. The whole human race in the beginning was Adam and Eve. There's only two in the human race. They rebelled against God. God says, okay, kick them out of the garden, let's start all over again, and we'll start with the whole human race. So what was the whole human race? All the descendants of, of Adam and Eve. They rebelled against God. God says, okay, we're starting all over again. I'm going to wipe them all out, bring the flood. And the flood leaves Noah uh, and the three sons and their wives, and God says, okay, I'm going to start with the whole human race again. And so he starts with the whole human race, Noah, Noah's family and all the descendants. They mess up, Genesis chapter 11, they build, they, they build the Tower of Babel to God, basically saying, God, we don't need you, you go off and do your own thing, we can, we can handle life all by ourselves. God says, okay, no you're not, I'm not going to send a flood, but what I'm going to do, I'm going to disperse you throughout the entire world so you don't have that power base where you think you can just control your, your environment by, by being together. And now God says, okay, this, I'm not going to deal with the whole human race now, I'm going to start with one individual, I'm going to start with Abram. And from Abram, I'm going to send the one solution to the problem, the final solution, which is coming from the seed of Abram, and it's going to be the Savior. And from that, we see from Genesis chapter 12 through the, the rest of the book, God's story of how he draws a people to himself. And he uses an imperfect people, Israel, to be the example of God being a covenant-keeping God, even in the midst when uh, that nation falls into sin, falls into rebellion, just like we do. But God says, I will be faithful to you, not because you deserve it, but because I promise it to you. And, and so he begins with this promise recorded in, in a um, Reader's Digest form in Genesis chapter 12, 1 through, 1 through 9. And then he begins, I will build you a great nation. And what was the miracle of that? He brought a child to a couple who at that age, now the age... The age of Cain process had multiplied from the times of Noah, and they were beyond the birthing stage, and God did the miraculous, fulfilling the promise of building the great nations by bringing a life into their family. But he also says to them, 
you will be blessed. Mary said, I will, I will bless you and I will curse those who curse you. Now, it's interesting when we think about the blessing of, 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 of Israel, God to Israel. That doesn't mean it was always, it was immediate. And that's one of the things we need to recognize with the walk of faith, is that when God promises us, we don't know what's going to happen immediately. Some have said Abraham left a place, uh, well, Abraham did, leave, Abraham did leave a place called Ur. He probably had a house there, he got to the promised land, he had a tent there. He probably had a, a particular place of residence where he had many servants and prospered. When he, when he came to Canaan, he, he was a nomad. He was going from one place and another place to the other place. But eventually what we see is the blessing of God in Abram and his descendants life, and they become a great nation, a powerful nation. They fall into sin and they get judgment. They fall into sin and they get judgment. They fall into sin and they get judgment. But they get a blessing. And the blessing, as we'll see in just a moment, is that they have persevered in a, in a world history in which ancient peoples basically are no longer intact at all. And yet somehow Israel has remained its ethnic diversity. Yes, there are times they wonder, you know, God, I know we're the chosen people, but why don't you choose somebody else for a while, all right? They've had the persecution of the judgment. They had six million Jews die in the Holocaust. Holocaust. They now have six million Jews now in the land of Israel. God has blessed them, even in the midst of them not deserving it. You will be a great nation. You will be blessed. Thirdly, you will be given a land. And here where God gets very specific about God's promise. And he says, when we are looking at in, in Genesis chapter 12, verse 7, and we're not taking the time to look up some of those cross-references, but I encourage you to look at that a little bit later. But he, he said, I will give you a land. And he, and he gets some detail in Genesis 15. We'll look at this up for a moment. But in Genesis 15, we, we have him describing even some of the geography of that land. Genesis 15, 18, he says, To your descendants I have given this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the, the Canaanites and the Kenizzites, the Catamanites, the, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephraim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, the Jebusites, the Termites. No, he didn't say the Termites, but yeah, you know, he had all this list of names. You're saying, what in the world? I have never heard of any of these. Maybe the Canaanites, because I've read the Bible. But where are these peoples? Well, these are peoples that were not blessed. These were people who were not promised that they would have a land. And you're saying, okay, but you know, I'm still thinking, you know, Israel, uh, Israel's really, they've had a struggle so much through their history, and, and it was self-inflicted. God said to a, a conditional promise to Moses that, they, that if they obeyed him, they would be blessed in terms of their experience. They, if they disobeyed him, they would be cursed. But that was a different covenant. That was a different promise. Here, God said, I will give you a land. But you might be thinking, well, maybe this was... It was an unconditional promise, but maybe it had a, had a time frame within it. And there are many who are thinking that today. And I think what they do is they, they miss the majesty of God being a promise-keeping God. Do you ever do this? I, I, you know, if, whenever I can spend money, I'd rather spend money on a good deal rather than a bad deal. And if I can save a dime here, then I just feel really good inside. All right? So I'll put uh, you know, food coupons in my car. Do you ever do that? You go, in case you know, I, I, you know, I don't normally eat out on, for my my lunch, but I go, maybe I want to go get something to eat, and so I have a coupon in my car, so I don't have to pay full price for whatever I'm getting. So, you know, I, I, I was cleaning up my car yesterday, this is a true story, and I, and I found a, um, a, uh, a, a pizza. It was actually Papa John's pizza. 
Um, and I thought, oh, maybe, maybe after church on Sunday, I'll go get a pizza. But then I looked at the fine print and the details of the coupon, and it says, this coupon is only good till July 31st, 2012. Okay, here's a promise, all right? This is a promise. If it would have been July 30th, 2012, I could have taken this promise to the Papa John Bank. All right, okay, so I want, I, I, want a, I want a pizza for $6 rather than whatever it is. Maybe it's $10. I get it for $6 because you promised right here. But if I go August 1st, guess what? That $6 pizza is now $10 or whatever it's supposed to be. And, and many people look at that for, for the promises to Israel. But is that true? Is that, kind of, is that the promise he gave them? Is it, is it not clear that God really has said, I've given you an everlasting promise? Turn to Genesis 17.8. You have your Bibles. Genesis 17.8, and I'm going to look at one other passage. But in Genesis 17.8, and this is, again, this, this promise that was given to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 is repeated numerous times in the first three or four chapters after chapter 12. It's also repeated Jacob. It's also repeated Isaac. Uh, but in Genesis 17.8, it says this, Also I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, in all the land of Canaan. And we could add a period there, but there's a comma. And it says, as an everlasting possession, and I'll be their God. God did put a time frame on this, but he said it's everlasting. It's not July 31st, 2012, or it's not 70 AD, or 135 AD, or 722 uh, BC, or, or 586 BC. And these are times where, where, where God used other nations to bring judgment upon Israel and disperse them. But in here we have God saying, look, I'm giving you an everlasting covenant. Uh, turn your Bibles to Psalm 105. And I am going through this quicker than I did with the people in the first service. So praise God, right? Psalm 105. Psalm 105, verses 7 through 12. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He remembers his covenant forever. The word which he commanded for a thousand generations... The covenant which he made with Abraham and his oath to Isaac and confirmed it to Jacob for a statute, to Israel as an everlasting covenant, saying to you, I will give the land of Canaan as an allotment of your inheritance. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't know how else to take that other than saying God's promise to Israel that they have a land in Canaan, it's gonna, that promise has no time frame on it. Now, I, I'm not... The present people in Israel, I'm not saying everything they do there is righteous and holy and right in the will of God. And I'm not even saying this is the... In fact, it, it's quite possible this is not the final fulfillment of this promise. But God has promised them, you're going to get this land. Because they deserve it? Because they're more holy than anybody else? No. Because He wanted them and the world to know, when I give you a promise, I'm going to keep it. He, we can look in the past. He built a great nation out of them. He did bless them. He, he allowed them to endure where all the Izzites were gone. He gave them a land in the past. And in a miraculous way, since 135 A.D., Israel was dispersed everywhere. And, and one, it's a, it's a miracle that they, they kept their ethnic identity. I mean, I mean, where's the last Roman you talk to? Okay, we don't, we don't talk to Romans. I mean, they're just everywhere. But there are Jewish people how do we explain that, though? They went everywhere. And, and it looked like they would never get back to the land. But in 1947, I think it was November 27th, the United Nations said they have a right to that land. And in 1948, they went to that land. Of course, everybody just welcoming into that land when that happened, right? No one wanted them to stay out of that land. It's, it's just unbelievable, except that it happened 
that God allowed this people to stay intact and then go back to the land. Now, they're not populating all the land they used to have. And God still has a judgment upon them who won't believe in that land. But God says, I want to show you that I can be faithful just like I have in the past. And this is just a picture that, hey, I can do this. And he brought them back. Now, the greatest promise in all the promises he gave to Abraham was this. I want you to understand that I'm, I'm not dealing with the whole population now. And sometimes we wonder, why did, why did God pick a chosen people? Why didn't he just, again, work with the whole population? And I'm not going to speak for the mind of God, but he tried that two or three times. He said, I'm going to work with one person, one nation. I'm going to use that as the avenue by which the whole world will be blessed. And remember, he said to Abraham, you're going to bless everyone. But where did that come? It came from the seed of Abraham. That's repeated in Genesis chapter 22, 18 specifically. It says, through the seed of Abraham, the world would be blessed. But I want to just look at the one passage. Look at Genesis, I mean, Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3 interprets the seed of the promise that was given in Genesis 22, 18 about what this seed would be. Genesis 22, 18. I mean, Galatians, excuse me. Galatians uh, 3, 19. 16, excuse me, Galatians 3, 16. But I might as well jump up to verse 15. Brethren, I speak in the manner of men, though it is only a man's covenant, yet if it is confirmed, no one annuls or adds to it, which simply says if if a man's promise comes through, then you know, okay, that was a faithful promise. He said God's promises, they come through, period. But but we uh, we see that, that when someone comes through, that they were faithful. Now to Abraham and his seed were to the promises made, he does not say, and to seeds as of many, but as one. So he's speaking, I'm not talking about seed in the generic way of all the descendants of Abraham, but to one particular seed and to your seed who is Christ. So how did God bless in the, in the, in the most comprehensive way through one man, through one nation, uh, to be a blessing to the entire world through one seed, from the line of Abraham and through all the, the line of, of, of Christ to bring Christ, the Savior, to this world. So what's the point this morning giving you all this background? It is that we go through the story of the Old Testament or New Testament. What we're seeing is, is his story. We're seeing what God has done. And, and, and not only do we want to appreciate the details of it, but it brings us back to the the powerful point is that God is a covenant-keeping God. That God is a promise-keeping God. And we need to have that convinced in our hearts and minds if we're going to live for Him and know Him. Just as powerful as that promise in John 3.16 are all the promises of God that are directed to those who know Him and love Him. The reason I can trust God now is because I can look back that God has been faithful in the past. And because of that, God will be faithful in the future. And, and whatever you're facing now and whatever you're facing in the days to come, you need to rely completely and fully on a covenant-keeping, promise-faithful God who came and delivered His Son to us. Let's pray. Father, I would pray for each of us here, and we, we're all going through various things, uh, challenges as well as joys, and, and, and Father, we want to be thankful and grateful for those things that bring joy in our life, and, and we want to express 
confidence and trust in those things that bring us challenge in our life and, and heartache and pain. And Father, if there be anyone here this morning that, that is, has never connected with the, the God who promises life, life that lasts forever and life that's abundant and full, might, might they see that they're trusting in someone who is, who is given his footprints throughout all of history and then culminated when he invaded history in Jesus. Father, we, we come to you by admitting our need, by believing that you came and died on the cross for our sin, and, and we commit to follow you, is, is when we cross that line of knowing some things about you and, and knowing you. Father, help us to trust you either for the first time or, or for the, this, the next time, as far as the challenge that comes our way. Might we... Believe in the promise-keeping God. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This morning as we... Uh